This morning, I wanted to talk to you. I was really struggling because um, you think as a preacher, and I've been doing this long enough to, to pull a message out of the bag, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to really hear what God was saying to the church in Portadown. And so I began to ponder the, the fact that as we've talked about presence and stuff, we've talked a lot about the church. We've talked a lot about us together, working together as a church. And that's really important because we need to work together. But I thought this morning what I'd love to talk to you about is I'd love to talk to you about your personal worship. I'd love to talk to you about you. I'd love to talk to you about you this morning. How's you? Because a lot of messages are geared to encourage us as a church to work and together, and that's okay. That's very, very good. But I discovered when in Israel lately that when we went up to the Temple Mount and we went up to the Dome of the Rock, I began to realize that whenever they, um, whenever they built the Dome of the Rock, they built it from a model. Isn't that interesting? They built a little one on the side to scale, and then they built the big thing from the model. And um, that's really interesting because can I say that any church is only as strong as the homes it represents. There's something about carrying God in our personal daily lives. Um, in our next slide, you'll see a, a picture of the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, they had this interesting, um, when you come in through the the, where the arrow is, there was the altar, um, the brazen altar where it was sacrificed. So, when you come into the presence of God, the first thing you've got to do is, 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 is repent. The first thing you've got to do is sacrifice. The next object was the laver, and the laver is symbolic in Scripture <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit. It's quite interesting for all the detail of the tabernacle, absolute detail in every area, right down to the very sockets that the timbers went into, the laver has no dimensions. We're not told any dimensions at all. Um, and it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit, so that's interesting, isn't it? No dimensions. When you go in to the holy place, um, you have on the left-hand side um, the candlestick, the seven um, branch candlestick, and then at the entrance to the Holy of Holies, you have the incense altar where they would sacrifice before they would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But this, this thing over on the right was the table of showbread, and um, it was changed every Sabbath day. So, every week, the, the bread, the, the 12 loaves would have been refreshed and made new, and the priests could have ate the old ones. And, of course, these, this bread was pointing to Jesus. Everything about the tabernacle pointed to Jesus, of course. And so, it was pointing to the bread of life, right? And it was pointing to the fact that God was their provider. He was not only their spiritual provider, He was their physical provider. He was Jehovah Jireh. But my question is this, my question is, where did they bake that bread? I've studied the tabernacle for a long time. I've never found an oven in it. There's no oven in the, in the tabernacle because, you see, they bake the bread at home. And what you bake at home, you carry into environments 
what you bake in your personal time with God, you carry into your workplace, you carry into your school, you carry into your factory, you carry into your university, how you live your life, how you personally live your life. It's definitely easier to worship corporately than it is alone. <laughs> it's easy to hide in corporate worship. It's easy to pretend and it's easy to become a consumer, especially in today's environment. Isn't it interesting that in Matthew seven twenty one, when Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about many would come in that final day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And we cast out demons in your name and we did many mighty works in your name. And then he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Because it's easy to use the word we. Oh, I go to Portadown Emmanuel. We have a food bank. We have a pantry. We help the poor. We do loads of things. We have a great compassion team. We are great as a church. The we won't cut in the final day. <laughs> The we's not enough when you stand before God. He'll say, now hold on a minute. I know all about the we, but the problem is I never knew you. What did you do? And so it's really important to understand um, the power of um, personal worship. When we think about worship, sometimes we think about music. We think about loud, soft, style um, modern songs, older songs. One of our worship leaders, Holly, who's amazing, Holly said to me a few Sunday mornings ago, she says, Phil, you're going to love it this morning. It's got some oldies for you. I was thinking of, I was thinking of Graham, Graham Kendricks, you know. Um, I was thinking of Ron Canole. Um, they've just blocked half the congregation out this morning. Um, but um, when Holly played her old songs, they were about five years old. Um, there were modern songs to me. But of course, you will already know that these singing songs are but byproducts of worship. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is how you live. Worship is personal. When my mom was alive, she lived in the country, and um, my dad was ill for many, many years. My dad took Alzheimer's when he was 67 and lived till he was 87. And the last 12 years of his life, he was just totally immobile. He was... And we... My, my dad was a hefty man, and I said, of all the good traits I could have inherited from my dad, I got his figure and his hairline. But um, he, uh, and so we, the seven kids in our family, so we had a rota to go, and literally we would lift him in the morning and change him. Nine o'clock, somebody would go back at one. We would do that at six, and then it was back to bed at nine. Of course, we had nurses, but he was hefty, and so they needed help to turn and all of that, and and we would have a rota, and I had four times in the week for 12 years. They were in my diary four times, and, um, and um, when I'd go down there, my mom, there was a little country shop called Brain's Shop, and my mom would send me for the messages. It was interesting in your 40s to go for the messages. Mom would, read, would push a 20-pound note. You always had to take the money. You could not take the money. I was keeping the change as well. It was great. And, um, and she would say, son, will you run down and get my messages? And I loved that. I loved going down the little country shop and getting my mom's messages. You can go and get somebody's messages, but you can't go and worship for somebody. 
You can't say, will you scoot down to church, sir, and worship for me today? Would you go into the quiet place and do some praying for me? You can't do that. It's something. You're, and so we, we need to be always listening for the fresh word. I can say this as a 65-year-old now, that it doesn't get any easier, the discipline of taking time in the Word of God, taking time in the presence of God. There's a passage on the screen that was the passage that guided me um, to start out back 30 years ago when I was really seeking God about um, doing something for the broken people of Craigavon. My story is I was a coal man in Craigavon. I was carrying coal, and the brokenness of this city broke my heart. I was a brethren boy, and the brethren was great. It was a great movement. I I was a brethren boy right up into my 30s. It was the best upbringing I could ever have asked for. But I knew I couldn't bring these people there. They weren't ready for church, but church wasn't really ready for them. And, um, and so we started something in the house, and this was the, this was the verse that God gave me. We turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. That's interesting. So God spoke and told them to go the direction of the Red Sea, right? And then it says, and for many days we traveled around Mount Sir. Then the Lord said to me, so the Lord spoke again. The Lord spoke again. Now, you've done this long enough. As I told you to do that, if God says circle, circle. But you need to be listening for the fresh word. And loads of people are circling, and they've missed the updates. And I don't want to be an old, blind, deaf Moses that are missing all the updates while all the young guys are getting all the updates. We need to get into the presence of God. And for the older generation in here, stop leaving it all to the young people. God has called you, and there is something on your life. There is a fact of a new season and a fresh word. And my question to you this morning, do you, have you heard the fresh word? When was the last time you heard the voice of God? When was the last time you determined that God was saying something to you? I think personally, this is a work that needs to be done. You will need to discipline yourself. You will need to work hard to smother out all the voices because there's so many voices. We're living in a very noisy world. We're living in a world where there's a million ideas and opinions at the touch of a button. We're living in a generation where kids, our kids aren't reading as much as they should. They're scrolling And so we're living in that generation, all right? And that's why our values in Emmanuel are core themes that define the DNA of our family culture and the underlying beliefs that shape who, who we are and drive our behaviors. In the early days as a church community, we developed a culture around that simple little phrase, loving God, loving people, and loving the world, which is really, really important. And we found ourselves becoming sold out in some kind of a passionate pursuit for the presence of God and uh, an extravagant love for the hurting and broken in our community. And as a result of that, um, we wanted every person in our church to be able to hear the voice of God for themselves, that you wouldn't depend on this every week. This is good and it's important according to Romans 10, but it's not enough. It's not enough for a pastor or a preacher to feed you every week. You need that personal um, uh, development in the Word. And so my question today, sorry I come with questions, is the way I preach, but 
Um, my question to you today is, how do I become alive in my spirit and hear the voice of God afresh? We're going to talk about that, all right? Now, Daniel's here, and Daniel, we, 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 when we go on holidays, we, um, we have always had these diving rods. You know what those are? You throw them into the pool, and you fire them into the pool, and you dive in to get them, and there's four different colors. When Daniel was small, he's going to kill me for this, but when Daniel was small, um, we were firing him into the pool on one occasion, and there was one that had slid away down into the deep end, and he couldn't get it. And I says, I'll get it, son. He says, no, Dad, I want to get it. And I says, okay, well, I need to help you get it. And so I said, you take a big, big deep breath, and on the count of three, I'm going to push you deep, just like any good dad would do. And so... Um, we counted to three, and um, I give him a big push down into the deep end. Is this being recorded? <laughs> and, um, and, and, and down he went, and thankfully up he came. And he was spitting and spluttering, and, but he had the diving rod in his hand. And sometimes, sometimes God pushes you into the deep. Deep places are tough places. They're a tough place to find breath in. They're a tough place to find life in. You don't want to stay there too long, but they're important to be there. And so I want to take you into something deep this morning. Turn with me, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to um, um, Exodus 3. It's not on the screen because I'd love you to read it if you've got a, a, a phone or a, a, a Bible um, or if you just want to listen on. Verses 1 to 6, Exodus 3. Um, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. I want you to mark that if you mark your Bible or if you've got a highlighter or whatever you do or mark it in your mind. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abram the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, 367 years. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Um, now, the Lord always honors and blesses the public reading of his word, and today is no different. We say, speak, Lord, your sons and your daughters are listening. Now, the story so far, um, when you get to Exodus 3, so far things are really good for him. But before the triumph, there was a tragedy. Before the triumph of chapter 3, you've got the tragedy of chapter 2. In chapter 2, he had long since realized that he had more in common with the slaves than he had with the Egyptians. There was the color of his skin, of course, but it was deeper than that. It was a heart 
issue. There was a heart thing, and he's seeing the injustices on his people, and he has a passion in his heart to see justice for them. And one day, he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave, and he steps into the middle of the conflict, and in a moment of rage, he kills and murders the taskmaster and buries him in the sand. The next day, he sees two Hebrews fight. He's out on the same little circuit, and he sees two Hebrews fight, and he steps in to try and separate them, and one says to him, "Um, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And he realizes his secret's out there, speaking to him with sarcasm. And Moses, what does he do? He does what everybody does when we get it wrong. He runs and hides. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've been running and hiding. And there, because when failure mocks your life, there's a huge temptation to do just that. When failure mocks your life, it's a temptation to run and hide. He goes to Midian. He's a fugitive. All of Egypt are looking at him dead. He feels lost. And it's just here that his life actually takes a little turn. He's 40 years of age, and his life takes a turn, and things start to look up for him. He, he, he gets brought into Jethro's family. He falls in love with Jethro's daughter, and he, he's given a life. He's given a job, and then he's given a wife, and he marries his daughter, and he has a family, and he's given a brand new start. Things are looking good for Moses. Maybe today you're in a season of hiding, and you've come today. Maybe you're feeling like thrown in the towel. Maybe you think it's time to quit. I don't know, but I'm here to tell you that now is not the time to give up. If you've got breath in your body, then you've got destiny in your soul. And so what I'm here to do today, that God sent this sweet short man with very little hair to tell you that you're called for more. You're called for more. You're called for more. And there's got to be more, all right? And there's more for you. I don't care what age you're. I don't care if you're in your 70s, your 80s, or your 90s. Um, even if you're a hundred, I don't think there's anybody a hundred here, but there we go. I don't care how bad your mistake. I don't care how much you've messed up. I don't care. It wasn't your phone alarm woke you this morning. It was the grace of Almighty God. All right? If you've got breath in your body, I've said, you've got destiny in your soul. You're called for more. Now, Moses, up to this point, as I say, he's got a wife, he's got a family, he's got a job, he's now 80, he's gotten over his failures, time has passed, he's had a bit of healing by the time he meets this burning bush. His failures are in his history, and now he's settled in to just fulfill his days as a good husband, a good father, and a faithful employee. And at this point, it's at this point that God comes calling and knocking again. I'm not sure about you, but I think Moses might have been thinking, now, God, now um, I'm settled I'm comfortable, God. I've been for counseling. I've worked through all my anxiety and all my stuff. Don't don't knock my door at the minute. Head down to Chris's or Brona's. They they could do with a a knock on their door. But not me, God. I'm fine, thank you. If, if, If you'd have come a few years ago when I was busted and disgusted, that would have been good, but not now. Now is not a good time. Um, I've got news for you today. Jesus comes and calls you to more, not just from failure, but from comfort. He comes and He calls you to more, not just from failure, but from comfort. We're big into talking about God calling us from failure, 
But maybe today God's calling you from comfort. Here's the problem for many today. You thought comfort was the goal, didn't you? <laughs> um, uh, but comfort is the very thing that could rob you from the kingdom of God. Comfort was never the end result. It was always the kingdom. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you comfortable. Jesus died on the cross to advance and build his kingdom. All right, and for all in the room who think it's past their day, I'm in the older bracket now. Although the, like when you go to fill in forms, it's the over 50s, so I'm still young. All right, uh, I, and I can talk to the 65 plus group now, and I don't know about you, but I'm for staying in the younger group. I made a promise to myself years ago that if I lived to 105, I was going to die young. So I'm going to stay young. And in all seriousness, here's the thing. Those of you who are maybe in your 70s today or in your 80s or whatever, you've got the most wisdom of anybody else in the room. You have the, and why would you leave it to us younger ones who are still trying to work it out? Why would you do that? Um, we need your voice now more than ever. You are called for more. There is no retirement in the kingdom. You can retire from your work. That's fine and proper and the right thing to do. But in the kingdom, you're called for more, always called for more, more of His grace, more of His love, more of His spirit, more of the kingdom bursting out of your life. You're called for more. Now, I've got three points, all right? All that to get the three points. All right, just three points. Here we go. Um, first point is this. Don't let trial or comfort distract you. Don't let trial. Moses doesn't run away. He's interested, you see. Moses says, I will turn aside and see this great sight. And God is good at getting people's attention, so be careful you don't miss His call. The eternal God of heaven wants to take you deeper than you've ever gone, so don't be distracted by anything, by your trial or by your comfort by the anxiety of your job, by the stresses of your family, by the comfort of your present life. The saddest thing I've done in the last 30 years is pray for people in their lean periods only to watch when their faith grows and things are, or when, their, when their, their lean period goes and things start to go good, they lose their faith and they walk away from God. I've prayed for people in the darkest hours only to watch them. I've one person in particular strikes me. Um, I prayed for his business. I prayed when he was in a really difficult, bad place. God blessed him immensely, and he is nowhere with God today. And that's one of my saddest things in my job. And, and so please don't miss the invitation to the great just because you settled for good. All right? Don't miss the invitation to the great just because you settled for good. Don't miss the more of God for things, even though good, that have no eternal significance. Now, second point, there we go. Um, examine what's in between. The bush is burning. It's not being consumed and to beat it all. It's talking. It's a pretty good day for Moses. Well, it's a weird day. God is speaking through this fire, and he's calling Moses by name. The eternal God of heaven has not forgot who Moses is through these 40 years of wandering in a desert. But he says a strange thing. He says, do not come near. Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you're standing is holy ground. Now, remember, Moses is a shepherd. hope I'm not being offensive, but he's got dung and dirt on his shoes. He has to have. 
And God doesn't want the dirt of the past to hinder the destiny of His future. God doesn't want the dirt of His past to hinder the destiny of His future. God is saying, remove the things that would lie between your flesh and my sovereign power. What is it today? What is it? You know what? It's the thing that jumped to your mind right away. The thing in your flesh that stands between you and God's sovereign power. We're all, we've all got something. I've done this job long enough to know that everybody's got issues. Everybody, me included. I see even the wee bitty deer going over the road in her zimmer. She's got them too. We've all got them. Every single person alive has got issues. God is talking here, and he's saying, you need to rid yourself. You need to remove. Can I be so bold to say, let's not get too familiar with the place we serve and honor and love God. I know this is beautiful, your new building, but we've become so used to a place and can walk in without taking our shoes off. We can just walk in having um, given our Saturday night to something that's just carnal. Let's not get used to walking into the presence of God with our shoes on. Now, you know I'm not talking literally because I don't want the smell. All right? I'm talking figuratively here. I'm talking that we need to remove what that is. Don't, if you're called for more, you're going to need to take your shoes off. All right? The stuff that lies between the stuff that we haven't taken time to confess anymore because we're always in a rush. Don't God doesn't want that dirt to get trapped between you and Him on forgiveness, pornography, alcohol, arrogance, self-righteousness, a failure to seek Him first, on and on I could go. You've left your shoes on too long, and the tenderness and feeling between you and God has grown hard. It's not as soft and pliable as it once was. You just can't feel Him the same, and you haven't heard His whisper in a long time used to sorrow and weep over your sin and failure, but not only more, you need to take your shoes off. God wasn't saying, don't come near. He was saying, don't come near as you are. He said, Moses, I need you to feel me again. It's been a long time. There's been a lot of stuff, and I need you to get into that place. I need to get into that oneness again. I need you to feel because not many days hence, you're going to stand before the scariest, most powerful man on, on, on planet earth at this moment. He's called Pharaoh, and I don't want you to run this time like you did the last time. And so you're going to need me. You're going to, he's going to be big and scary. And I need you to remember this moment. I need you to remember that I am and I have all power. Remember how big your God is. There's a great story. Diane Disney, who is the daughter of Walt Disney, writes in her um, autobiography. And she tells the story of when she realized for the first time in her life that Walt Disney was her dad. And she was in elementary school. She was in, and, and it was her first day. And the, the kids were all given their names. And um, when it came to her, and they asked her, the teacher asked her her name. She says, I'm Diane Disney. And all the kids started to holler and, and, and you know, and, and, and laugh. And, and Diane started to cry. And the teacher said, what's wrong, Diane? What's wrong? She said, the kids are all making fun of me. They're all laughing. I just said my name was Diane Disney. And the teacher says, no, no, they're not laughing at you, Pat. They're, 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 they're excited about who your dad is. And she says, my dad? Who's my dad? And she, and, and, and. Diane, or the teacher says, Diane, 
Who, who's your dad? And she says, my dad's Walter Disney. And the teacher goes, Walter Disney. Walt Disney. And she says, she goes, my dad is Walt Disney? And it dawned on her. And she said she would walk around for weeks after that. She would walk around mesmerized because she said her dad was just her dad. And she'd never correlated the two, a little four-year-old, she'd never correlated the two worlds, that her dad was Walt Disney. Pretty awesome, isn't it? But here's the deal, here's the deal. Your father didn't create Disneyland. Your father created all the world, the earth, and the, uh, the earth and all its fullness is His. It all belongs to Him. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's a good, good Father. He's a healing Father. He's a saving Father. And He's your Father. And you can be like Diane Disney today and say, God is my Abba. He's my Daddy God. But you say, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm not here to minimize your problem. I'm here to maximize your God. There's a, great, there's a great little line in the Psalms that says, David says, come magnify the Lord with me. I love that line. You know, and if, if I were to bring my binoculars here today and ask you what you do, most of you would say they make things bigger. Well, they actually don't. They just help you see things bigger. <laughs> when the Psalmist says, magnify the Lord with me, you can't make God any bigger. He's huge. <laughs> you can't make him bigger, but you can see him bigger. And some of us just need to see him bigger. And here's the last point. God may be waiting for you to move. God may be waiting for you to move. When uh, the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see. I was speaking at a retreat, a White Youth for Christ retreat up in um, Dungiven many, many years ago. Maybe 25 years ago. And I was preaching on... They give me the title, Intentional Living, and they were speaking on this verse. And when I was a boy, I used to think, God, why 40 years? Why, why, did, why had poor Moses to wait 40 years to get a call from you? Why not three or five? Even 10 would have been rough enough, but 40 years? And I was speaking in this verse, and I read this, and it was like a defining moment. I'd never saw this verse in the reality before that when the Lord saw. And it made me realize that maybe Moses walked by dozens of these in his 40 years. Maybe he was always in a hurry. Maybe he was rushing to the next appointment. Maybe he had the kids to get out. Maybe he had all the stresses of holding down his job. I don't know. But I wonder how many burning bushes he'd walked past. But all of a sudden, there came a day when God got his attention. And can I say to you, in the hustle and bustle of a busy world, slow down. Slow down. Take note of what's going on around you. Because there could be a burning bush and you've missed it time and time again. I uh, remember maybe 25 years ago being at a conference in America. And it was the first time I ever came on what um, those um, faucets with no taps. You know the faucets with no taps? Well, 25 years ago, they were a new thing, all right? And um, I went into a loo um, in the conference center I was in and went to wash my hands and realized there was no taps to turn the water on. I couldn't figure that out. I thought, where are the taps? 
So I, I, I looked all around. I couldn't find, is there a foot pedal, something to get this going? Couldn't get water to wash my hands. So there was a guy in the loo, and I said, I'll wait till he comes out. So I waited till he come out. He never washed his hands. <laughs> never shake hands with an American. <laughs> he never, never washed his hands. So I, I thought, I was working around this top and trying to figure out, and then, and then I just did this. I just did that. And the water started to come out. And I realized I didn't have to wrestle. I didn't have to turn anything. If you get this soon, you'd get home earlier. <laughs> I just did this. I didn't need to wrestle. I didn't need to turn anything. I didn't need to switch anything. I didn't need to jump in. There was no foot pedals. I just did this. You know, the presence of God is here today. And you don't need to turn it on. And you don't need to manipulate it. And you don't need to do any specific dance to get him to appear. You just need to be receptive. And the water will begin to come out of the faucet. And the blessing of God will come. You see, um, Jesus has already made the first move. He defeated Satan at Calvary. And he made the first move. It was when we were still sinners that Christ died for the ungodly. And I'm finishing in two ticks. And I just did this. I held out my hands. Funny how God is calling us to wait on him. Moses, um, <laughs> kind of all of, all of um, Moses' excuses are funny. He talks about not being a good speaker. I'm not sure whether or not Moses believed a lie because there's a verse on the screen that I stumbled on lately in Acts 7 that says Moses was educated in all the wisdom of Egyptian and was powerful in speech and action. So, um, and here's the thing, here's the thing. If you're going to go with the facts, you need to make sure you go with the truth. If you're going to go with facts, you need to make sure you go with the truth as well. I devised a little plan years ago out of Ephesians 3.20, which is my favorite verse. I have many favorite verses. It is my favorite of favorites. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think because it's according to the power that works in him, to him be glory in the church. That's the truth, all right? And I call this little list my butt list, and I realize that if this and me are going to get into an argument, I'm going to go with this. If this and my doctor get into an argument, I'm going to go with this. If this and the world economies get into an argument, I'm going to go with this. The fact is, things are really tough, you might say, this morning. Uh, sin and temptation seek to demolish you, and you're not sure how to keep going. The truth is, that's the fact. The truth is, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The fact might be, I'm not sure how to do this on my own. That's a fact. The truth is, you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. The fact is, i tired, and I don't feel like praising God, but the truth is, I will bless the God, Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. The fact is you think the enemy is inflicting serious injury in you. The truth is no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. All right? The fact is you feel burned out and weary. The truth is they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. The fact is you've been crying yourself to sleep at night. That's the fact. But the truth is weeping may endure for a night. Joy comes 
in the morning. The fact is, we have wars and rumors of wars. We have viruses and all of those things sweeping across the globe, creating havoc and dismay. That's the fact. But the truth is, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The king is still on the throne, my friends. Life is real. Um, tough times may come. Loved ones may die. But eternity is real. And it's a never-ending eternity of awesomeness. Paul would put it this way. Eye hasn't seen. Ear hasn't heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Paul, Moses would say in Deuteronomy, underneath you and all around you are the everlasting arms. I finish with a story. Maybe our worship team would come and we'll pray. Um, I hope you didn't think I was just speaking to all the oldies this morning. Um, I'm speaking to us all collectively. We're called for more. One of the greatest violinists in the world today is a guy called Joseph Parman. Joseph Parman, a renowned violinist. Crowds flock from all over the world to hear him. He's still alive. And uh, when he was 12, he was struck by polio. And um, he uses crutches and leg braces now to get around. And he was uh, always the last one to get his seat on stage at any orchestra. He was playing in the Lincoln Center in New York, um, a very difficult piece. And he was about 90 seconds in when there was a loud twang of a string break and could be heard right to the back of the hall. And the orchestra played softly to cover, and everyone was wondering what was going to happen because protocol would allow the lead violinist to go off stage and um, retune, restring, and retune his violin. But Parman had sat down, had taken off his leg braces, so he didn't have that privilege. And so according to the Boston Globe, Mr. Parman waved the orchestra on and instantly transposed the music to three strings instead of four and played the piece flawlessly. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to me, but the musicians here will all probably tell me that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And when he had finished, um, when it came to the end, there was a stunned silence, uh, and then the audience stood and began to applaud him and roar, and the orchestra that was with him stood and started to bang their instruments on the floor in honor to Parman. Mr. Parman a guy with a busted string and busted legs, a guy who probably told he couldn't do it, said this when he was interviewed. He said, why did you do it? How did you do it? He says, all of my life, it's on the screen, it has been my mission to make music with that which remains. And what God's saying to you today is what's left Will you give it to me? Whatever age you are, the Bible talks about numbering your days for the days are evil. It's a good idea to do that. Number your days. might shock you. But all he's asking today is with what's left, will you give it to me? And I'd love to pray for that this morning. Can we close our eyes? We're going to sing a song in a moment to come to the altar. And um, 
it might be a good idea just to do that. Um, one of the things I found in kingdom and being a Christian all my life, got saved when I was six, so you can do the mass. Um, I found that everything I get from God, I responded to something. I responded to a call of salvation. I responded to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I respond to him every day in my quiet time. I said, God, would you come afresh? And maybe while we're singing this song, let me just pray now, and then we're singing this song, maybe it might be a good idea just to come to the front, just as an act of God all my life. I'm making it a mission now to make music with that which remains. I'm going to give the rest to you. So God, I pray right now in the solemnness of this hour as we come to conclusion today that you would minister by your strength and by your heart. And I pray, God, for those that are older in the room and for those that are younger that we just give the rest to you. Say, God, all for you in Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship. Thanks, Lisa.